Yes, hello folks, welcome to the Global Football Show, the weekly Global Football Show. Now, of course, I'm your host as always, Phil Brown, joined with my now regular fantastic co-host, Zach Lowy, who uh, has had an interesting week. Zach, of course, was on Good Morning Britain yesterday morning to talk about this incredible Paul Pogba story that has broken since the weekend, which, Zach, we'll, we'll cover that. We'll talk about lots of other things in today's podcast. We'll talk about uh, this new Redbird takeover, New York Yankees takeover of AC Milan, which is quite interesting. We'll talk about the new regulations being brought in by the UEFA, which I think are much needed. We'll talk about new squads cost, uh, new squad cost rule, 70% of revenue in a calendar year on wages, transfers and agent fees. Talk about the fact that the Premier League has spent more than this transfer window than the French, German, Italian, and Spanish clubs combined. Whether that's healthy, uh, we'll talk about some other stuff going on in France and a few other things going on around the world of football. First of all, how you doing, my friend? Hey Phil, great to be back. Been a fairly whirlwind uh, two <laughs> days going on. Good Morning Britain, going on BBC Radio and uh, Talk Sport. But yeah, really looking forward to be discussing this story. Well, I was listening to the ins and outs of this Paul Pogba story. Congratulations, my friend, on all the things that uh, you've been doing over the last few days. It's great to see you getting that type of recognition. Um, but I um, was listening to this story over the last few days. I um, was listening to a detailed analysis from it, Julian Lorenz this morning. And I have so many questions, Zach. First of all, it's truly unbelievable what, what I was reading and what I was hearing. Secondly... There's about five or six stories within one story and somehow they all just came out at once and didn't come out in March when he was allegedly kidnapped or certainly, uh, depends on how you want to describe that. Uh, France police were saying it's quite amateur. I'm going to let you get into the ins and outs of this and tell us all about it because it's truly unbelievable. Yeah, so look, um, I first heard about the... I guess the makings of the story on Saturday night when Matthias Pogba, one of Paul Pogba's brothers, um, created a variety of social media accounts. He had not, uh, he hadn't been on social media prior to that. Um, so he created a, a variety of social media accounts and posted this very menacing video. Um, and, and was basically saying he has pertinent details to discuss with regards to Paul, uh, with regards to Kylian Mbappe, as well as Rafaela Pimienta, um, the Brazilian woman who took charge of Mino Raiola's agency following his death and uh, has since served as Paul Pogba's agent. So promising to release some explosive details and so obviously, you know, I, I was like, well, this is weird. You know, he's saying the world, uh, you know, knows, deserves to know the truth about Paul. And then, you know, we can see if he's this, this, the, the guy that he portrays himself as. So I was like, oh, that's weird. I wonder what's going to happen. And it seems like Paul uh, beat him to the punch um, because Saturday, Sunday afternoon, France 24, uh, France Info released a story. I was first uh, English journalist to, to uh, pick up on this and, and translate it, um, hence the DMV and whatnot. Uh, but but yeah, it's as you mentioned, it's about six stories in one, and it's essentially beating into the punch. So let's try to let's try to map this out. 
as a timeline, okay? Paul Pogba, you know, he he was he he came through um, a fairly impoverished area in Paris, uh, moved to Manchester United at a young age, went to Juventus, went to Manchester United, now back at Juventus. Um, in and you know he during the investigations he has stated that he uh, he he has always helped out his friends and family financially. You know he's always pitched in. However. It, it seems like he perhaps started being a little more suspicious or perhaps a bit more cautious of his inner circle uh, in January. What happened in January is a friend that Paul was hosting at his Manchester apartment um, used his credit card to take 200,000 euros mm. and, yeah, kicked him out, obviously. Um, so I think that from that period, from January to March, that's that's going to be a really important period in this investigation because, you know, you scroll two months later after that, and we get to March. Um, March 21st, actually, Paul goes to uh, the, the Shangri-La Hotel in Paris where the this charity event that Matthias is running for his charity organization, 40H4, uh, they, they are hosting a charity event, and Paul happens to be one of um, the biggest donors to that charity. And so, you know, he attended that event at the Shangri-La Hotel. I believe a day or two after, he goes to... Uh, he goes to the Manchester United's Champions League match, plays against Atletico Madrid, and uh, has his house burglarized. Um, and and it, this is happening while his his children were uh, alone with the nanny. And so has his World Cup medal taken, um, and as well as a few valuable jewels. Now, I, I don't have any reason to believe that those two incidents are connected, but I also... Given what's what what has transpired the past three days, I also have no reason to believe that they are not connected. Mm-hmm. So it could be an important detail. A few days after that, of after the robbery, um, I believe from March 25th to March 29th, Paul, you know, back in Paris for France's uh, international friendlies against the Ivory Coast and South Africa, friends take him to this apartment, and it is here where he is confronted by two hooded men with assault rifles um, who state, you know, we have been discreetly providing uh, security and protection for you over the past 13 years. And we are going to demand 13 million euros for services rendered. You have, uh, you know, turned your back. You have forgotten about your friends and family financially since becoming a professional footballer. We want 13 million euros. Now, yesterday, an important detail emerged from L'Equipe, which states that Pogba actually gave them um, 100,000 euros, I believe, or around 100,000 euros, hoping it would be enough. It wasn't. um, They clearly, uh, you know, wanted that 13 million euros. I'm not sure where that is in in the timeline yet, but... uh, so, so that happened in March, right, where he's confronted by these armed men. April, he's confronted again in Manchester. 
um, July, Paul, you know, he, he returns to Juventus. Um, and shortly after that, he is approached by, uh, by, by that same gang of uh, uh, alleged blackmailers, alleged extortionists. And it is here in this, in this incident in, in Turin where Paul recognizes the face of uh, his brother, Matthias. So not only did not only are there child. Sorry, what month was that, Zach? You recognized Matthias? That why, was... Why? That was in the. That is where he's confronted outside of Juventus's training ground, by by the extortionists. Some of which are Paul's childhood friends, childhood friends, and one of them is Matthias, his brother. And it's after this incident where, you know, and Paul and Matthias. Um, they had been on good terms up until at least March. I'm not sure when the split occurred, but fairly recently. Um, July, Paul, you know, recognizes Matthias, decides to go to, uh, to Juventus's lawyers who contact the police. So it should be noted that this is an international case. Uh, there are cases pending both in France and Italy investigations underway in both countries and so yeah he contacts the you know they contact the police in july and now you know a month a month and a half later matthias goes and you know promises to reveal uh some explosive information and then just a few hours after that paul and his legal team they they sent out a official report a brief French media on everything that's happened. In fact, they even state that in order to, uh, shall we say, take the wings out of Paul's story, they had planned, uh, Matthias and his team and uh, had planned to release a story um, across, across the social media that stated that Paul Pogba had contacted a uh, witch doctor and 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 asked him or him or her I'm not sure uh, to to put a spell on Kylian Mbappe so that he would be injured which Paul has obviously uh, denied but so yeah shortly after that after this this whole story which which goes into you know all of these details. Um, Matthias quickly responds with a thread on Twitter stating, "You wanted to shut me up completely and lie and send me to prison. Uh, I have to tell you, I have enough to prove my words and your lies. Manipulating people is not good. It's not about money. You impl- pl- you implicated me in spite of myself. I almost died because of you." You left me in the hole while fleeing and want to play innocent. When everything is said and done, people will see that there is no bigger coward, traitor, and hypocrite than you. Unbelievable. Now do you understand? I have nothing against you. My words are for your own good. Everything is proven. The witch doctor is known. um, And and then he also uh, says of his brother Paul, he's a so-called Muslim, deep in witchcraft. It's never good to have a hypocrite and a traitor near you. Um, so, yeah. 
I mean, where do you even start? First of all, how on earth have they managed to keep this quiet for so long? I mean, and when you talk about the layers to this story, yeah, you go back even to the situation in January, someone taking 200 grand off your credit card. That's not insignificant. That's a, that's a lot of money. And that's, that's something that you think, why didn't Paul contact the police then about that? I mean, if someone's going to take... It's one thing if someone takes £200 or whatever, okay. £200 a lot of money, regardless of how much money you make. And then you're going March, Shangri-La and Paris gets held at gunpoint. Surely that was the point, because at that point he doesn't know Matthias is involved, assuming Matthias was involved at that point. Um, you would think, what's the incentive not to contact the police and, and to start a serious international investigation? And of course it would have come out. And then you ask yourself, why did he pay them at all? Because once you do that, then you start the expectation that they're going to continue to get paid. You, you know, uh, uh, so I can understand, look, someone being in a situation, I'm trying to think, when also was it that Mino got sick? Because... Mino died in April. April, so right about this time, Mino was sick too. And so, um, you know, I wonder how much of a factor that was. I know Rafael Pimenta personally. I've met Rafael a couple of times. Uh, Rafael Pimenta... It was an extremely intelligent woman, very, very sharp, um, speaks six different languages, Brazilian lawyer, and so does not suffer fools, and is someone that Paul is very, very close to, and, and they both have tremendous trust. I would be surprised at Rafaela allowing something like that to develop in the background. Um, so... This is, I have so many questions about this. And, you know, I remember Matthias Pogba playing against Paul Pogba first and at the end when they United played in Europa League uh, against them. And they, it, th this was the story pretty much leading up to the game. And there was tremendous affinity between the two of them. We all know how families, you know, fall out and things happen. But this is truly unbelievable. And I would assume that Manchester United knew about this. And I would assume that Juventus knew about this before he ended up going to Juventus, which then would also ask the question, why Sorry. did Juventus not get involved before no, I, this? I, I just want to correct you. That was Florentine Pogba at Sanatia, not Matthias. Matthias! Uh, oh, actually, was it? Was that Florentine? Sorry. Yeah, no did correct me. But Matthias, his, um, his, his career has, has not even been... Like close to Florentine Paul, he's had kind a of a journeyman, yeah journeyman career, bouncing through the UK, Netherlands, Italy, uh, Slovakia, Slovenia, um, and was recently playing in France's fourth tier. So I'm assuming Florentine has nothing to do with any of this either. Yeah, to my understanding, there's no implication with Florentine whatsoever. Okay, gotcha. Thanks for that correction. Um, so, why do you think they've been able to keep this quiet for so long? Look, I mean, I don't want to... I, 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 in my opinion, I think that Paul is the victim in this. Oh, um, seems I, to be, yeah. You know, I, I can't 
obviously I can't make a conclusion until, you know, legally the, the investigation is printed. But, you know, from, in, in my opinion, I think that I, I personally believe Paul's side of the story more than Matthias, you know. Um, Matthias, I mean, you look at the way they've gone about, uh, shall we say, introducing the world to this story that perhaps they should have known a few months ago. Um, Paul has been a bit more, I think, I would say measured in his approach, you know, releasing a statement through his lawyer, briefing the media. Matthias has chosen to go to social media, releasing a video and uh, a thread, which, you know, nothing wrong with that, but you look at the language that he has used in that, and it, for me, it seems a bit more reckless, you know, maybe trying to stamp up the odds. I, I think that, I think that there's a good chance that, you know, Paul, look, he's, he's gone through a lot over the past year. He's gone through a lot of injuries, um, arguably the worst season of his entire Manchester United career, you know, Mino Raiola, his agent and mentor in many ways, uh, dying, um, changing mm -hmm. clubs, and having your house burglarized, having his house burglarized and his children in jeopardy. Um, and now, you know, it, uh, uh, shortly after joining, getting shortly after returning to Juventus, getting injured, and now he's in a race against time uh, to be fit for the World Cup. So he has been in a difficult situation the past few months. Um, and I feel like, I, I think, look, obviously more details will emerge. You know, maybe Paul wasn't completely innocent in this, but... I almost, I, I almost feel that, you know, this is something that the, the details of the story are unique, but the ethos of the story is not unique. Um, so many athletes throughout the world, mm -hmm. you know, come out of a uh, impoverished, crime-ridden neighborhood and, you know, make a name for themselves in their respective sports. But in many, t in many occasions, you know, their family or friends will try to take advantage of their success, try to take advantage of their loyalty and bring them down. That's that, that essence of the story is not unique. Mm. Um, but I also think, you know, I just have to wonder, you know, Paul, you know, trying to keep this under wraps, let's face it, the media, uh, both the British media and the worldwide media has not been that kind to Paul, in my opinion. Uh, you know, trying to, I, I think that, you know, Paul, perhaps in the back of mind is thinking, oh, if this story comes out there, it's just going to give the media like more ammunition, uh, you know, look at this hoodlum, you know, and look at this guy, you know, with a terrible background, you know, just bringing drama. But, you know, in my opinion, he's, he's the victim in this. I have no reason to believe that Paul uh, is lying. And I think that... Yeah, I think that he's been uh, targeted as the, uh, as, you know, he, I think he has been the target of an elaborate extortion scheme. Look, Zach, there's no equivalency between someone being the victim of extortion and someone denying they were the victim of extortion. You know, to me, there's it's blatantly obvious that Paul Pogba has been subjected to a terrible ordeal here. 
that is not justifiable in any any, any stretch of imagination. I remember when Stephen Gerrard was uh, was supposed to go to Chelsea. The talk on the street at the time was there was particular people got involved in that transfer to prevent it from happening. So um, you know I do a lot of stuff in the boxing world, and I can tell you this stuff happens all the time, right? Uh, especially kids coming out of inner cities and tough neighbourhoods, whose it's very hard for them to escape um, because they're permanently linked to their to their place of birth, their their friends, what have you. They, they, now they never really get out of there. Their circumstance didn't change, and it breeds jealousy and it breeds everything else. Um, and and I've seen this happen a lot. Uh, you know, the, the the other inconsequential question, I suppose, is what does it mean for Deschamps with Pogba and perhaps uh, Mbappe having a difficult uh, issue here? Yeah, um, and and there have been you know reports that Kylian Mbappe obviously is 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 monitoring is closely monitoring the situation from a distance, right? So he doesn't want to make a comment or whatever. But if this story about the witch doctor, um, you know, if, if that is true, uh, then he would never want to play with Pogba again. Which, you know, I don't think it, it... On the one hand, I don't think it is true. But on the other hand, I'm, I'm looking at the details of the case right now, and I'm thinking, well, like, what... What exactly, besides besides putting Paul's life in danger, right? Besides knowing where he lives and you know having these armed men try to instill fear in him, like how could they possibly blackmail Paul? You know, what do they have on this guy? Um, and that's the only thing that comes to mind. Like I said, I don't believe it. I don't think he would go to a witch doctor, but. Uh, it's also true that there have been crazier stuff that have happened with regards to French football. Um, it's something that is just, you know, completely, you, you see so many of these uh, legal cases and scandals. But I think that there are some crucial distinctions between this one and, uh, you know, the recent cases of Karim Benzema, Frank Ribéry, Rafael mm-hmm. Garbuena. And I think that one, uh you know this 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 one this this case is life right we have reason to believe that Paul Pogba's life is in danger you know not trying to justify or say that the other the the sex tape or blackmail or whatever you know that obviously was not okay but i definitely would i definitely think that this is a bit more life threatening and another reason is this is uh, this is not a domestic case. This is an international case that is happening in multiple countries. You know, potentially even England may get involved. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned that this gang approached him in Manchester. But uh, right now, the French authorities and Italian authorities are carrying out investigations. And I think that because of the nature of this case, um, I think it's going to have to be resolved a lot quicker because, like, looking at the recent stuff, both with, you know, Benzema, uh, Ribéry, all of these cases, they tend to stretch across several years. Um, and I just think that France and Italy, both of their, 
teams of, of private investigators and police, they're going to have to work a lot quicker to reach a conclusion. Yeah. Obviously, they still need to do their due diligence, but, uh, you know, time is of the essence. Yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, I will say this. Um, I've had Paul Pogba on my podcast. Um, I've met him, and he's actually a really, really likable guy. He is. Um, I mean, it's hard to, to. I mean, it's hard to to make a sweeping judgment about someone. And, but anyone I know who's met Paul or knows him personally will say the same thing. He's a thoroughly decent guy, very generous guy, and um, it's hard to see him getting involved in something like this where he's paying for security. I just don't believe that. Um, Spain was France because. Um, Big, big game this weekend, Montpellier win 7-0. They needed that win. I didn't have the best of starts. But in that, they have a young 19-year-old striker. Tell me all about him, Zach, because he had a hat-trick. Yeah, in regards to L.A. Wahi. Yep. Yeah, so you uh, recorded a brace and an assist. But, uh, but yeah, I, I managed to catch a little bit of the game. Um, Montpellier, Brest, I've written about it before, but... Uh, Actually, in the summer of 2021, um, Michel de Zakarian uh, went to Brest and uh, Oliver Dal Oglio went to Montpellier. So they did a managerial swap, one manager going one way, one manager going the other way. Um, so I was very interested to see what happens. And, and yeah, Montpellier taking on Brest. I wrote about this in my recent piece for Bet Central. And uh, Montpellier going to Brest without their captain and best player, Peji Savanier. Um, and yet, despite that, they end up winning 7 nothing. And, you know, we've seen our fair share of blowouts this past weekend. Obviously, Liverpool beating Bournemouth 9 nothing, Celtic being beating Dundee United 9 nothing. I think that this is a bigger result when you look at the fact that both of these teams were you know, bottom half sides in Liga 1 last season, uh, Montpellier going to Brest without their best player, and yet winning seven nothing, getting an early five nothing lead, um, and yeah, it's 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 a very interesting one. Um, uh, so yeah, Wahi, it's it, he he's an interesting talent. Um, there has been some. I know that there's been some. Uh, legal incidents with regards to him that some some controversy but i i don't i i have some vague information about that but uh he he joined uh montpellier's first team in i think 2020 and uh and and has really taken off recently became the second club second youngest goal scorer and uh, at 19 years old has has done very well for for this team um and in fact, uh, he's he's been very important for him. Scored a brace, including a fantastic goal, uh, controlling across from Wabi Kazri and just completely deflecting it from from the near post to the far post. Absolutely beautiful finish. Check it out if you haven't yet. Um, and and one important, I think, one important detail is that uh, in the final days of the last summer's um, transfer window. Montpellier sold both Andy Delort uh, to Nice as well as Gaetan Laborde 
Turin. So two domestic rivals. And uh, those two, Delort and Laborde, had formed um, one of the best strike pairings in Europe, let alone France. You know, strike pairings perhaps are something that's not quite as much in vogue as they were in recent, as they were, you know, a few decades back, but they were absolutely fantastic together. Um, in fact, I, I believe that one year later, um, I believe that, uh, I, I think that Ren are trying to get um, Delort, Delort to, uh, to the club and, and, and reuniting them, or perhaps it's the other way around. I know that we, we could see, I, I believe actually the story is um, Ren and Nice are considering trading Amin Goyiri and Gaetan Laborde. So Laborde would be going back to uh, to playing alongside Delort. So they were absolutely fantastic together. And they lost two very important strikers. And Wahi, this 19-year-old, you know, has really stepped up as the club's uh, leader in attack. Very technically gifted uh, young striker. We're seeing a lot of these, uh, you know, profiles, striker profiles come out of France in recent years. Boyeri, Randall Colomuani, who, who joined uh, who joined Eintracht Frankfurt on a free transfer this past summer. Um, you know, a lot of these players, Hugo Ekitike, who recently made the move to Paris Saint-Germain, are now Kalimwendo going to Rennes as well. So a lot of interesting young strikers uh, to keep an eye on. I think that that's something we're going to see more of, considering the fact that uh, considering the fact that both Olivier Giroud and Karim Benzema, you know, getting up there in age. France, there, there are a lot of young, uh, intriguing center forwards such as Wahi, who I think will be competing for that spot in a few years. Speaking of uh, striking powers. Monaco and Volland and Yetta uh, pulled off of an, a draw against Crystal Caltier's PSG. Of course, Fertinho was suspended. Bernardo Sanchez made his debut. Uh, big difference between what we've seen from Fertinho and Renato Sanchez at the weekend. Uh, Monaco, of course, who lost to the excellent Frank Hayes' launch uh, the week before, 4-1, um, pulled off a, a draw against uh, Crystal Caltier's PSG, 1-1 each. Uh, what did you make of that? Yeah, look, this is a result that I think Monaco desperately needed. Um, you know, started the season with a win against Strasbourg, got eliminated to PSV Eindhoven, um, drew to Rennes at home, lost 4-1 to Lens at home, and uh, taking on Paris Saint-Germain at the Parc de France, a Paris Saint-Germain side that has been on fire uh in general, the past over the first few weeks of the season under Christophe Galtier, um, they needed a result and, and they got it. Uh, Kevin Voland, player who started very well at Monaco, kind of and ended up ending, ended up getting a recall to the German national team, uh, took a step back in form last season, but uh, definitely got a big goal early on at Parc de France. Um, PSG though getting an equalizer from the penalty spot from Neymar. I know there's been some controversy with the um, penalty hierarchy between Mbappe and Neymar, Mbappe being the first choice. My understanding is that Mbappe allowed Neymar to take it, and you know, which, which is a good sign for them. Um, but yeah, look, 
overall, I think a solid performance from Monaco. Um, and you know, there there have been a lot of concerns. You know, how how is this Monaco side going to do under uh, Philippe Clement? Uh, this is a side that was missing their Brazilian wingback. Uh, Vanderson on on the right side of defense, and yet uh, grinding out a draw, a much needed point um, at, at the Parc de France. So overall, a very balanced performance against a PSG side that you know, despite despite the lack, lack of Vitinha, they should have been winning this match. Um, one thing I will say though, I think that this this could be one of the signings of the summer. Uh, Mohamed Kamara, 22 years of age, um, from Mali, and uh, came came to Europe uh, at went in 2018 as part of the Red Bull Salzburg Academy. Uh, made his way through the ranks there and uh, did has, did very well the past season. Actually picked up a Man of the Match award against Bayern Munich in the Champions League round of 16. And uh, ended up joining, um, ended up joining Monaco. I think two weeks ago on a five-year deal, and he is, uh, for lack of a better word, the Aurelien Chouameni replacement. Um, I really like this piece of business. I think that this is the kind of profile that Monaco needs to be going after. You know, let's face it; they are not going to be capable of keeping hold of guys like Chouameni when. The big boys such as Real Madrid come calling, but to you know go out and and replace them with with a player like Mohamed Kamara, who was linked to the likes of Everton and Leeds United, you know to get this 22 year old and beat out Premier League interest, uh, I think it's a fantastic piece of business for them. I think that he's going to continue to grow in value. I think that like so many other players, uh, they are going to make a massive profit on him. Um, so I'm really excited to see how Kamara fills the Chouameni-sized hole in midfield alongside Alexander Golovin and Yusuf Kofana. Despite the fact that they've lost Chouameni, this is still a very decent squad. I know that Paris Saint-Germain um, are are looking at there's are looking at signing Monaco's center back Axel Vissasi in the final days of the window. Uh, Monaco have put a 50 million euro price tag on him, and I expect them to keep hold of him. But uh, we'll see what happens. Overall, a good way to bounce back for Monaco, and uh, they're going to need to just try to keep up that momentum. Staying in a beautiful part of the world, maybe the prettiest derby in the world, uh, Nice Marseille. Uh, it's a place I've been fortunate enough to be in, and uh, it is absolutely breathtaking. Uh, Lucien Favre's niece losing 3 0 to Marcel Alexis Sanchez getting a brace in that game. Um, and of course, Igor Tudor who took over uh, this summer. Um, tell me, what did you make of that game? Because Marseille, just like Long and just like uh, PSG, sitting on exactly the same points. Good start from Marseille so far. Yeah, I, I think it's been a great start for Marseille. Obviously, uh, they Marseille are such a chaotic club. Uh, it seems like every year they go from finishing second to finishing fifth changing manners and whatnot and what's interesting is is this time 
They finished second on the Jorge Sampaoli, only for Sampaoli to leave um, due to frustration over the club's lack of ambition in the transfer market. Um, but in fairness, Sampaoli does have a bit of a reputation in that regard, both in, in Brazil as well as in Europe. Um, but Marseille currently sitting second level on points with Paris Saint-Germain and Len. Not going to touch up on Len because I think we might we might be able to get to them. Uh, but they they they've done a fantastic job as well. But Marseille second in Ligue 1 despite losing uh, despite losing uh, Sampaoli, despite you know William Saliba returning to Arsenal. It's a very good return for them, um, and and yeah, they've been in very good form. Brought in some very exciting. Uh, new players to to fit with Igor Tudor's style. Igor Tudor um, served as Andrea Pirlo's assistant for a year before taking charge of Hellas Verona, stabilizing that uh, that that ship after Eusebio Di Francesco was uh, sacked after three days last season, and uh, did a very good job at Hellas Verona. Got a step up by going to Marseille. Um, and they've put together some very, very impressive um, signings. So it's almost ironic that uh, Sampaoli left due to lack of ambition, you know, not signing big-name players. Only for Marseille to, okay, they haven't signed big-name players necessarily, but they've signed players who mm-hmm. are improving the level of their squad. Nuno Tovaric joining on loan from Arsenal and uh, – doing a fantastic job at the left wing back position. Only Neymar and Kylian Mbappe have scored more in Ligue 1 than him, as well as bringing in two very impressive free transfers, Chancel Mbemba and Alexis Sanchez, uh, as well as bringing in Jonathan Klaus, for me, the best right wing back in France last season. Uh, some very impressive pieces of business for Marseille and uh, and and yeah this on the other hand you've got Nice another team with a new manager uh, you know had a decent first year under Christophe Galtier narrowly missing out on Champions League football on the final day as well as losing to Nantes in the Coupe de France final um, so you know you you expected them to take a step forward but club uh, currently in the relegation zone under new manager Lucien Favre. Overall, a really poor start for them. And uh, I got to say, I'm, I'm quite surprised. This is a quality team when you look at the players. And uh, they just have not been able to 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 uh, gel in the first few weeks. Losing to Clermont Foot, um, a club with a practically non-existent budget, drawing to Strasbourg and uh, drawing to newly promoted Toulouse. So they've got a game at Lille uh, coming up midweek. We'll see what happens with that. But yeah, Toulouse 3-0 um, at home and, and to go down 3 nothing at halftime as well, uh, it, it's a very poor, uh, poor result. This is a team that has you know, been active in the transfer window, brought in Nicolas Pepe on loan from Arsenal. Uh, it seems like out of the 
two Arsenal loanies. Nuno Tavares probably got the better end of that duel on the left side. Um, they've got in Casper uh, Schmeichel from Leicester, Alexis Pekabeka, uh, Mattia Vitti from Empoli, um, Aaron Ramsey. So they've been quite active in the transfer window. Remains to be seen what happens with uh, certain players such as Calvin Stengs and Amin Goyeri. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that this, this has been a very poor result. I think they're probably the biggest disappointment so far in Ligue 1. Um, and, yeah, I, I would also expect, considering the fact that they are run by, you know, Ineos, the Britain's richest man, and Jim Ratcliffe, I would definitely expect some uh, moves over the uh, final days of the window. They are typically a club that w- that makes a big splash in the final days. Speaking of the last few days of the window, um, I was listening to a stat last night about um, the spending of combined clubs across Europe and the fact that English clubs have spent more than their Italian, Spanish, French and German counterparts combined. That is absolutely staggering. Um, and of course the commercial and financial advantage of Premier League clubs over the rest of Europe is a gap that's growing week by week. We for trying to do something about this, they've revamped the Champions League of course to try to make it more lucrative for football clubs. Um, they need other revenue streams to close the gap on English football. Um, they've also brought in a new rule, Zach, where it says 70% of revenue in the calendar year no more than 70% of revenue in a calendar year and wages, transfers and agent fees. I really think that something needs to be done um, because we've got leagues that are essentially being destroyed. Um, German League once once was an example to the rest of the world um, on how to have an affordable league that has tremendous entertainment for fans at a price that is, you know, that is reasonable. Now, unfortunately, it's become so dominated by Bayern Munich. You know, we've seen, I know Lille won the league, but truthfully, it's PSG's always to lose. If we look at other leagues throughout Europe, we're seeing more of these 9-0 victories, these massive wins. Um, and you're just wondering, what is the competitive balance is being destroyed? There's going to have to be some checks and balances put in here to stop this. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think that it's almost ironic in a way because the Premier League, I think perhaps the biggest reason why it is such, it it is the biggest sports league in the world um, is because this is not a league that is reliant on big name stars. You know, you look look at the... The, the big name stars that have come through, a lot of them actually have been flops. This is a league that is what it is today because of its teams, because of the competition. You know, no easy games, mm-hmm. you will, um, in, in the Premier League. Um, and, you know, because of that, I would say, greater competition between the 20 teams, the Premier League has managed to get to a level where it is effectively uh, the new Super League. You know, you look at the signings Probably. that are being brought out, you look at the price tags, you look at the players, some of the best players in their domestic leagues. Uh, Lucas Paqueta leaving 
Lyon or West Ham. So many other examples where it's like, you know what, the European Super League did not materialize, thankfully, but if the Premier League is just another Super League, mm-hmm. I mean, what was was the fan uh, protest and reaction, did that really achieve that much in the end of the day? Um, you know, so, so look, I think that on the one hand, I think that a lot of these teams in other leagues, and a lot of the respective leagues, they need to uh, follow the footsteps in, in many respects with regards to what the Premier League has done. You know, you have to, you have to uh, notice your own errors as well as you have to notice what your rival counterparts have done to get to that level. So look, I think that looking at the television distribution, right, TV rights, and looking at as well, um, you know, expanding into new horizons. You look at all, so many of these English teams, and, and they have, you know, international social media accounts. And then you've got, for example, Espanol, who are one of the biggest clubs in Spain. They just they just launched an English-speaking account last week. Which you know, fair play to them. A lot of a lot of Spanish teams do not have that, but uh, but but the fact that it's taken them this long for an English account. Never mind, you know, look at all of the others. You, all these teams, they have a Japanese account, an Arabic account. You know, they've got it nailed down. Stuff like that plays a big difference in convincing the international community to follow your league. Because, you know, you go to, you, you go around the world, you know, Brazil, Portugal, uh, Nigeria, and, you know, these people, okay, they may, they may follow their domestic league, sure, but they also follow the Premier League. So they know there's going to be, probably going to be a fun title race. They know that they're going to see some of the highest quality football being played. They know that there's there's quality on display. So look, it's uh, you know it, it's it's a very tough task right now to decrease that gap. I think we're possibly we may see some attempts to bridge that gap. We'll, we'll see big European clubs start to continuously break with tradition. Start. I think that what we'll see is. In the US and LA, we'll see a La Liga game before we see a Premier League game because they'll need to do it first. They're going to have to get a jump on the Premier League because they're trying to play catch up in every other aspect. And you're looking at, look, they typically copy the NFL model, right? And when you look at NFL playing games in London, playing games, you know, Munich, I mean, this weekend in Ireland, they had a college football game. I know there were 70,000 people in, in, in Dublin just to watch Nebraska, and I can't remember who the other team was. But, I mean, the, 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 the crossover now because of the Internet and the cultural similarities between Europe and, you know, the U.S., for example, and the other key market being Asia, of course, um, which is massive for, for, for brand growth. I think that what we'll see, we'll see, which was anathema to, to, to fans, you know, five, ten years ago, we, we, you're, you're quite right in saying that um, 
the protests, what did they achieve? They achieved a certain iteration not happening, but we're like boiled frogs because we're getting the Super League in another format anyway, as long as we stay with the current format. And so I think what we'll see is things that football fans, previous generations once held to be sacred, are going to disappear, such as, you know, I, I remember, Zach, even things like renaming stadiums after a sponsor would have been considered anathema. You know, don't do that. These are iconic stadiums. You know, you don't 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 rename it the Allianz Arena. But now I forget about that. No one cares. Once it's done, it's done. Um, and I think it's just a matter of time before we see a La Liga game or a Serie A game in key cities around the world. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that La Liga. It seems like there has been some attempts to have a have a game in Miami. Um, we'll see what happens with that. But look, uh, I, I think that, you know, you, you have to let go of this traditionalist approach because it's clear that, okay, yes, when it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But it's clearly broke. Barcelona, you know, they, they and so many other clubs having these financial issues. Real Betis uh, have, have signed quite a few players that they can't even register. Um, this is something that you know La Liga and other leagues should definitely be looking at, trying these new approaches, uh, having games elsewhere. I think, yeah, it, it, it would make sense. Obviously, you do have the logistical issue of, you know, okay, well, you need to balance it out, right? Um, you know, how you know it, it can't be that, for example, one team in in one team has to play. 16 home games, yeah, one game mod, whereas every other team gets to play, play 17. Mm-hmm. You know, there obviously would need to be a balance in having these teams play. You know, so maybe you have like one foreign game. Uh, I'm, I'm not too sure. But, uh, but, but yeah, I think that these are the certain questions that need to be asked. I think that these leagues, Liga uh, Primera, uh, Bundesliga, La Liga, they do need to be looking at how the Premier League got where it is. And one of the things, uh, you know, as you just mentioned, uh, following the NFL model to a degree. But with that being said, uh, there needs to be action from football's authorities to level the playing field. I think that this 70% revenue that, that you know, you mentioned, I think it will help in some ways. I'm just not sure if it's if it's going to have as much of an effect as it is as it intended. The only thing that I don't like about it, Zach, is when you say 70% of revenue, it doesn't close the differential gap between the haves and the have-nots, right? So 70% of revenue for a Manchester City is still going to give them a mass advantage over 70% of revenue for Bournemouth, whereas the flat salary cap, it says you can't go over this no matter how much money you make. Um, I think would be far more efficacious than just saying, hey, 70% of revenue, because it still has a massive differential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is, of course, the issue. But I think that, look, I, I don't think we are ever going to see a salary cap in football, in European football, as we've seen in the U.S., just because of so many different labor laws and tax laws and all this stuff, as well as the fact that, you know, I don't think the Premier League would want it. 
it's clear that you know some of these players leaving their clubs. You know, Matthias Nunes, great example, leaving Sporting to join Wolves. You know, money is a massive uh, plays plays a massive part in that. So look, I completely agree. It's you. You know, yes, you want to punish or perhaps. Uh, you know, put more, I guess, restrictive action on the likes of Manchester City and Chelsea than your Bournemouths, your Fulhams, right, so on and so on. But that being said, the league as a whole is just becoming, is just spiraling out of control. You compare, you know, the so many of these teams, mid-table, lower-half teams, what they are spending on players, compare it to so many historic clubs you know across Europe and it, it's definitely creating an unhealthy balance that I think needs to be addressed sooner or later I completely agree we'll quickly touch on the AC Milan Yankee story I know this is a developing story so we don't have a ton of information on it um, but basically what is happening is uh, Redbird is a company that uh, is, is going to be taking over AC Milan we get a 1.2 billion uh, purchase for the football club. They did that in June. Um, the Financial Times have reported that the Yankee Global Enterprise is a commercial arm of the Major League Baseball franchise and the Nelly Investment Fund have been brought on board by Jerry Cardinale, the founder of US private equity firm Redbird Capital Partners, um, to also play a part in this takeover. They will have 10%. Uh, they, uh, they, will, they also have 10% of FSG, I should say. Um, when who of course are the people that own Liverpool um, this will be different in the sense that they'll have active control and investors as is the case in Toulouse in Liga it seems to me when I look at Todd Bowley and I look at a lot of other owners especially from the US that they're already involved in sport they're already involved in uh, ownership of big big franchises in the US and it would seem to me that there's some type of goal or vision at some point to use each other's platforms to market each other's clubs to market each other's teams which we've been seeing we've seen anyway that um, these clubs these teams um, have a lot of joint marketing exercises with tours and what have you we see a lot of players come out here on tour we'll see them go NFL teams and kicking footballs and we see the reverse happening whenever they go over to the UK we saw Tom Brady of course with Cristiano Ronaldo it seems that this is used quite a bit makes me ask a bigger question um what is it that these owners franchise sports owners see in the distance that makes these purchases attractive look i think one 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 uh i guess perhaps one one aspect that that makes it attractive is you have a chance to own a club interact with a fan base a, a, a historic club's fan base and be presented as the club's savior and i think that sure that that definitely feeds into their ego but um but but it's it's an it's a unique opportunity i think that with regards to redbird um yeah i, I know you mentioned they they had taken charge of toulouse uh two years ago i don't know if they have had any work with other clubs, but uh, the Toulouse example, I think, I think that's a very good example and a very good reason why Milan fans can be optimistic. 
um, because, you know, clear, obviously they have had a few good years with Elliot, you know, getting back to the Champions League, getting the Scudetto, but they've also done it with uh, fairly low cost, you know, younger transfers, which I expect to continue. I think that they need to continue that model. And we've seen it work so much, uh, you know, getting the likes of Mike Magnan, Theo Hernandez, uh, Rafael Leao. That being said, though, that they, they have been, in many regards, hamstrung in, in the transfer windows. Um, you know, they have been unable to renew the likes of Alessio Romagnoli, Gianluigi Donnarumma, Hakan Kalaniglu, allowing them to leave on free transfers. And, you know, and so there, there are plenty of players whose future is uncertain with that regard. For example, Ismail, Ismail Benasser, the Algerian midfielder, um, whose contract set to expire next year. So that, I think, is a big test for this ownership. Making sure you can commit the long-term future of these players to the club. I think that's a big test, something that Elliot has been unable to do, as well as just spending in the market. You know, that's something that I think a lot of Milan fans were frustrated in. Uh, they did manage to get the Charles de Cataler, uh mm-hmm. deal across the line from Club Rouge. I think that's going to be a very shrewd piece of business for them. Um, made his debut look, the weekend. Go ahead, yeah. Right. Looking at the other moves that they have made, I know they brought in Diva Origi on a free transfer from Liverpool and uh, are doing some late business, I believe, getting Malik Dia, this young centre-back from Schalke, um, as well as looking at getting um, Aster Vranks, this Belgian midfielder from Wolfsburg. Um, so getting some late business done Potentially more with, with this Redbird investment coming in. But fact is as well, you know, this Milan team does not need that much work. This is they, they do have some very good players. I think that Degetaler, that could be one of the biggest best signings them ever. But I also think Milan fans they, they have a reason to be frustrated with some of the business. Um, and I think that Redbird, you know, maybe perhaps it'll allow them a bit more capital. Um, and I think but one thing that they cannot abdicate from is 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 their model you know that's one thing that's been really unique about milan you know going from pretty much a decade-long banter era of you know finishing fifth sixth so many washed up aging players to having this really shrewd well thought out plan under the likes of paolo maldini and stefan uh, stefano pioli bringing in these exciting young players for fairly reasonable prices and fairly reasonable salaries. Um, that's been something that, that has worked very well for him. I think that Toulouse, looking at what Redbird have done with them, look, they, they've, done, they've done a very good job. Uh, first year back, got to the uh, promotion relegation playoff, narrowly lost to Nantes, who, uh, of course, end up uh, going to... You know, hold on to their safety, finish sixth, and and win the Coupe de France under Antonio Comboire. Um, and and to lose after narrowly losing in the relegation playoff, they end up getting to Ligue 1 the following year, um, doing it with a fairly small budget and really focusing on promoting academy talents and using data um, to bring in these 
exciting young players. I think that's something that, you know, Toulouse have definitely reaped the benefit from. And I think that's something that, for me, that works hand in hand with this. Um, I think that, you know, with regards to these franchises and ownerships, a lot of the times it will go wrong when the ownership and the club, they just really aren't on the same page. You know, they're trying to achieve one thing. You know, maybe this ownership is trying to make this club more of a fashion brand, trying to bring in some big name stars, focusing on, you know, jersey sales and stuff like that, rather than the, the, the plan that, that was uh, proposed previously. But I think that this, you know, I look at what Redbird have done at Toulouse in terms of focusing on advanced data analytics, focusing on young players from the academy as well as other leagues. And I look at what Milan have been able to achieve. Um, and I think that there's reason to believe they, they are fairly similar. Look, Toulouse, obviously different boats. Uh, Toulouse going from League Two to now, you know, winning promotion and, you know, trying to fight it out in back in the top flight. Milan, on the other hand, they are... Uh, they are on cloud nine at the moment, right? After winning the Scudetto on the final day of the season. And uh, now it's all about building on that, right? Making making it clear that last season's Scudetto under Pioli was no fluke. Building to that squad. And uh, and also going farther in the Champions League. You know, they finished fourth uh, last season uh, behind uh, Porto, Atletico, Madrid, and... Um, that other team kind of matter. but but they finished bottom of their group and um and obviously i think i think that european success that that is definitely going to be a, a barometer that they are looking to that they will be looking to improve um so yeah i think it's also important for them zach um to have co-ownership with Teams such as the Yankees, especially based in New York, where there's such a massive Italian community. Uh, you know, you saw the Chelsea players at the Dodger games doing first pitch. Joe Cole was out doing it. Um, of course, ex-Chelsea player. Um, but a lot of the Chelsea players were there at the Dodgers game. They're, it's really, really important, especially for Italian football. Italian football should, and I'm not saying everything is important because it's America-centric, but this is a very, very important sport and market. And there's such a massive Italian community in this country, which of course is evidenced by the fact that Roma also have had numerous American owners. Um, and I think you can sell Italian football in the US if it's done right. Um, and I think... Uh, there's a potentially tremendously huge audience in this country for something like Syria, which is a fantastic league to watch, no question about it. My friend, uh, last week didn't even get to, we didn't get to the Champions League draw, we didn't get to, that's all the things we've run out of time. Uh, we, we will get to that next week, we will debate it in a little bit more detail, where we have time to analyse it more, we'll also talk about Europa League, Conference League and all that, um, we will get into some MLS next week too. Zach? Uh, fantastic work on the Pogba story. Uh, truly fascinating. And thanks as always, mate. And take it easy. I'll take it any way I can get it. So. <laughs> Cheers, brother.